that's true. Prayer is uh, just as strong as God is because you're involving God when you pray. And uh, what, a, what a blessing that is. Jeremiah chapter 31. And how many of you, you had a good week this week? Lift your hand, you had a good week. All right, good, good. And uh, that's a blessing. And uh, if you didn't have a good week, last week's over, amen? And uh, it's, it's the Lord's Day, it's the first day of the week, which means you have... You have uh, more days now to have a bad week again. <laughs> uh, but no, at least you got it off to the right start. Amen. You're in church. And uh, that's, a, that's the right way to start the week anyway. Uh, stand with me, please. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah was an unusual man, an unusual prophet. And uh, I, want to, I want to read a passage for you. And I want you to follow along with me, beginning in verse number 1. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 1. At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. Verse 3, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Verse 4, Again I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant, and shall eat them as common things. I want to preach to you this morning on this title, Welcome Back, Israel. Welcome back, God's people, and uh, let's pray together. Our Father, we ask you to help us this morning. I pray that you do a work of grace in our hearts, and uh, Father, the needs are great. I look around every Sunday morning, and I think about how that uh, folks, uh, in many cases, have, uh, have had a difficult week, all kidding aside, and folks who carry unbelievable burdens, folks who are struggling with... Uh, uh, besetting sins, folks who may not be saved, folks who uh, just need to hear from heaven uh, in one way or another. And I pray, Father, that whatever the needs are, that you would use the message now to, uh, by your Spirit, to apply to every individual and help us get something this morning that would be a blessing and remind us of some very important truths we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. <clears throat> the prophet Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet the weeping prophet. He cried a lot. That title was given to him or is given to him because his was not an easy job. If you remember, the, uh, the book of Jeremiah starts with the, the, the Bible says that God called Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations before he was ever born. Uh, before he was ever brought forth from his mother's womb, before he was ever conceived in his mother's womb, Jeremiah said, I was called as a prophet to the nations. By the way, that kind of does away with the, uh, the whole argument from the uh, abortion crowd that, uh, that it's not a person until it's born. All right? No, no. If, uh, <clears throat> you know, God had a plan for Jeremiah and he was called to be a prophet before he was ever born, before he was conceived in his mother's womb, he was a man of God, a prophet to the nations. The nation of Israel during Jeremiah's lifetime was... Uh, of course, long before Jeremiah's lifetime, rather, had been divided uh, into two parts. The northern kingdom, the also called Israel, 
and the southern kingdom, which was sometimes referred to as Judah. And, uh, of course, this happened long before Jeremiah's time, but by the time this passage was written, the northern kingdom had already been taken into captivity by the Assyrian Empire. And Jeremiah had been called of God to preach judgment to the nation of Israel and to the land of Judah because God's judgment was going to come because of their sin. And by the way, sin always brings judgment. Always has, always will. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And it's true as a corporate body, as a nation. It's also true if you as an individual. Sin always brings judgment. And Jeremiah was called of God to be a prophet to warn God's people of the judgment that was to come if they did not get right with him. The judgment that Jeremiah pronounced on God's people was, it was heartbreaking to him. It wasn't something that he was joyful about. It wasn't something that he, uh, he looked forward to. That's why Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. That's why he, he was moved to tears when he thought about the sins of God's people, when he thought about the, uh, the uh, 400 plus years where God's people rejected the Sabbath days and so on, and uh, all those sins that would ultimately bring God's judgment upon the land. Jeremiah wept a bucket of tears over what had happened to Israel in, uh, in their being take, taken captivity by Assyria and what was about to happen to Judah. You see, when this was written, even at that particular time, Nebuchadnezzar's armies had come from Babylon over to Jerusalem. They had made that 800-mile trip, and they were just about ready to storm the walls of Jerusalem. They were getting ready to take God's people into captivity. They were getting ready to burn the city with fire. They were getting ready to run roughshod over the inhabitants of Jerusalem and lay the city as a desolation or a desolate place. And, and Jeremiah knew that was coming, and he was weeping, and he was crying about that, and, and uh, and he was mourning, even before it happened, the loss of the nation of Judah. By the way, the sins of our nation ought to break our hearts. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, every now and then we ought to be moved to tears about what's happening in our country. You know, we talk about the need for revival, and, and, uh, and, and so true it is, but you just look around at the moral de decay of America in just one generation. In just one generation. Uh, many of you, 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 you remember a little different country than what we have today. Uh, you remember a, a little bit of a different uh, climate, a little different atmosphere in the United States of America in, uh, in, in decades gone by. Uh, things that were intolerable uh, just a few years ago are now widely accepted. Things that were unthinkable just a, a generation ago are now being encouraged uh, in our country. And just the, the depravity of man has, has reached to a new low, it seems, in our culture. And, and that ought not to, uh, we ought not just look at that and say, well, oh well. We ought not just see what's going on in our country and, uh, and not be moved by it. No, there ought to be something on the inside that sees the decay and sees the depravity and sees the debauchery and the sinfulness and the wickedness of our culture. And there, there ought to be some people who get alone every now and then and just weep over what's going on and beg God to do something to send revival to our country. God sent a message to His people by Jeremiah, and the message was prophetic both short-term and long-term. You read Jeremiah chapter 31, and I believe there, there's a long-term prophecy that has not yet happened where one day all of God's people, the chosen nation of Israel, will be brought back to Palestine and 
<clears throat> and, and there'll be that millennial kingdom of Christ and, uh, and, and all of that. They will indeed be God's people as a, as a corporate nation, a corporate body. But there was also a short-term prophecy that, uh, or application to the prophecy that Jeremiah had. You see, in just a few days, the nation of Judah would be destroyed and many taken into captivity. The armies of Babylon were on their way to destroy Jerusalem. And here's Jeremiah through tears of despair over what was happening, receives a message from God, and God says, Jeremiah, I want you to give this message to my people. And with that as a background, I want you to listen carefully to the message this morning because it wasn't just a message to the nation of Israel, but it's a message to us this morning. It's a message to God's people today, 2018, who have backslidden away from the Savior. It's a message to God's people in the church age, in our day. You see, the nation of Israel, they, they are, have always been and always will be God's chosen nation. But understand something, uh, in the, uh, in New Testament days, in what we call the church age sometimes, those of us who are believers, those of us who put our faith in Christ, though we are not Jews by birth, we are the family of God by the new birth. And there's people in this room this morning you need to hear the same message that was given to Israel by Jeremiah, but the application is the same to us. Some of us need to come back to God. Some of us need to just wake up spiritually this morning and realize that, yes, we have wandered away from God. Yes, we have uh, chosen our own way. And in some cases, we have become selfish and self-willed, and we have rejected God. Even as, even as Christian people, we have uh, lost fellowship with Him. And I... The message this morning is simply this. Why don't you come back? Why don't you come on back? Welcome back. Here the message Jeremiah gives to the God people, and it's a message I want to share with you this morning. First of all, the message was this. Number one, God never stopped claiming His people. God never stopped claiming His people as His own. Look at verse number 1 with me, if you will. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 1. At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. You see, God's chosen nation has always been Israel. And as you look at their history, they turned their back on God many times, but that didn't stop God from claiming them as His own. That, hey, God, never, never one time do you say where God was so disgusted with his people to, to the point where he said, you know what, I'm done with you. Get out of here. Never. Now, they were about to go into captivity. Things were about to get rough for these people. Nebuchadnezzar's army was at the city gates, even as Jeremiah was pinning the words and delivering the message here. But God said, hey, I can see beyond the captivity. I can see beyond the, the, uh, the, the tough times. I can see beyond all of this. And no matter what happens to you, you'll always be mine, nation of Israel. And may I say to you this morning, uh, that verse was written, uh, it, it was written to Israel, but it's, it applies for us today as well. Let me share a verse with you. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye, talking about those of us who are saved, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, understand something. You may not be Jewish by birth, but you belong to God by means of the new birth, which means you are his. You belong to God. 
You belong to God every bit as much as the nation of Israel or as being His chosen uh, uh, people and understand something. You might disappoint Him. You might get out of line. He may have to discipline you from time to time. And by the way, the Bible does say, whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. A lot of parents in here this morning. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't discipline your kids because you don't love them. Quite the opposite is true. You discipline your children because you love them. They belong to you. And, and let me say this. God said, you will never ever cease to be one of mine. That's the attitude every parent has toward their children or ought to. You know, uh, I was corrected the other night. I said we had four kids. We actually have five. But anyway, <laughs> if you weren't here a couple Sunday nights ago, <clears throat> you're, uh, the pastor had brain fade. Okay, forgive me. But anyway, uh, God gave my, my wife and I five wonderful children. And they may disappoint us. They may get in trouble. They may do things that break our heart. But let me tell you something. There will never be a time when they will not belong to us as far as being birthed into our family. By the same token, if you're saved, there'll never be a time when you're not one of God's. We talked about eternal security this morning a little bit. We talked about assurance of the believer this morning. And let me tell you something. Uh, there may be a time where you stand in doubt as to whether or not God, but that, that, that you're, that you belong to Him, but you understand God never has doubts. God never has doubts. Hey, the moment that you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are born into the family of God and you may disappoint Him. You may, uh, you, you may, you may make Him mad every now and then. I won't ask you how many, how many of you parents your kid ever makes you mad. And you're thinking, oh, well, let me count the ways. <laughs> the question is not, have they ever made you mad? <clears throat> the question is, how many times has it happened today? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but no, that, hey, that, that, that's part of parenting. That's part of that parent-child relationship. But let me say, let me say this, <clears throat> whatever your child does that disappoints you, that brings tears to your eyes, that discourages you even, hey, there'll never be a time when they don't belong to you. As far as your, their birth is concerned. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. There'll never be a time when you don't belong to God. Never be a time when you don't belong to God. I want you to see the second message that God gives to Jeremiah. Not only <clears throat> did God never stop claiming them as his own, number two, God never stopped caring for them. God never stopped caring for them. Look with me, if you will, at verse number three. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Do you see that? God said, hey, nation of Israel, hey, nation of Judah, you, uh, you, you people in the northern kingdom, you're already uh, held a captive in Assyria, and the southern kingdom, you're getting ready to be run over by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian captivity, and, and you'll be there for the next generation or so. But hey, let me tell you something. Not only have I, not, have I uh, disowned you, I'll always claim you as my own, but not only that, I'll always care for you. I'll always care for you. Let me tell you something. You'll never hear better news than that. God said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Love that never ends. Love that knows no limits. Hey, that's my God. That's my God. Love that knows no limits. Love that is everlasting. Love that never ends. Love that is eternal. Love that is everlasting. And let me tell you something. You belong to God. God will always love you. You're here this morning. You're not saved. God loved you so much He sent His Son to die for you. How dare we ever question the love of God? 
We may question the love of another human being because human beings are fickle, but let me tell you something. Love is one of God's eternal attributes. You think about the, you think about the attributes that make God who He is. God is never changing. He is immutable. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. God is all-powerful. He's, he's, uh, he's omnipotent. He is, uh, uh, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. You, you'll, you'll never, you'll never go where God is not. <clears throat> and those are God's, uh, uh, His, uh, natural attributes. But God also has some moral attributes. And one of those is love. God is love. First John chapter four tells us. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And His love is eternal. It's everlasting. Again, you may, displease him and there may be times when you step outside the will of God as his child that's what the nation of Israel did in this chapter and that's what brought the judgment that's what brought God's condemnation upon them that's what brought God's chastisement upon them they had gone uh, uh, decades and even centuries without keeping the Sabbath days and God said okay if you won't keep my Sabbaths I'll get them back all at one time and they'll, you're going to go into captivity for 70 years and, uh, and that disobedience brought God's hand of judgment but understand something God's hand of judgment does not negate God's love God will always love you it's our God now you look, <clears throat> now you look at what was going on here in this story, and it's plain to see that God was not going easy on his people. By the way, some, you, you know, we, we talk about love. Uh, th this was tough love right here. You know what? God's people were going into captivity because God loved them. You know, we sometimes have a hard time grasping that truth. Yeah. How many of you remember your parents saying something like this when you were a kid? When, uh, when they got ready to apply the Board of Education to the seat of understanding. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But I remember my dad saying something like this. Son, <clears throat> and many of you could finish this statement. This is going to hurt me. <laughs> this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And you know what? He would say it with a tear in his eye. And I thought to myself, we don't want to do that. Let's trade places. <laughs> Daddy, you, you're not the one who did wrong. I did wrong. And if it's going to hurt me or hurt you worse than it hurts me, then something's not right about this whole equation. But you know what? That's how God feels when we get in trouble. That's how God feels when judgment has to be meted out and God has to correct his own. And when we get out of God's will, when we get out of God, out of uh, following him and away from obedience to his word and away from obedience to the leadings of his spirit in our life, God says, hey, I'm going to have to correct you. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to spank you. I'm going to have to apply some discipline here. And, uh, but that is a testimony to the fact that he loves us. You see, God's justice and holiness demanded the judgment to come on his people for their years of backsliding and rebellion, but he never stopped loving his people. Let me tell you, the greatest truth you'll ever learn is written in a chorus that we teach little children around here. The greatest Bible doctrine, the greatest truth that you will ever be exposed to from that book right there is simply this. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Hey, you can learn all the theology you want to learn. You can master all the isms and schisms you can about Christianity, but you'll never come across a truth greater than God loves you, my friend. Boy, you ought to bask in it this morning. 
You ought to rejoice in it this morning. Whether, hey, if you're saved, you ought to rejoice in the deep love of God this morning. If you're unsaved, hey, you ought to hit this altar in a few minutes and ask the, and, and ask the, 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 uh, the, the, the Jesus of the Bible, the Son of God, who died on the cross and was buried, rose again after three days for your justification. You ought to ask Him to save you and rejoice in the fact that there's a God who commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hey, I'm simply saying God loves me this morning. And nothing I will ever do will cause God to love me any less or any more than He does right now. God's love is not contingent on me. He doesn't love me because of me. He loves me in spite of me. He didn't love me. He doesn't love me because I'm good, because I'm not. The Bible says there's none good. No, not one. He doesn't love me because, uh, because I serve Him. God would love me if I never served Him. He doesn't love, look, I'm simply trying to get you to understand this morning. God's love is not fickle. It's not contingent. There's no stipulations on it. No, He loves me because of who He is. Because of who He is. Number three, I said number one, the message that God gave to Jeremiah to give to His people was, first of all, God never stopped claiming His people. He said, also, I want you to understand that God never stopped caring for His people. And then I want you to see number three, God never stopped counseling His people. God never stopped counseling His people. Say, preacher, what are you talking about? Look with me, verse 3. Jeremiah chapter 31, and verse number 3, the Bible says this, <clears throat> The Lord hath appeared unto me of old, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, don't miss it, Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. With loving kindness... Have I drawn thee? You know what God was saying? He's saying, look, I know what's getting ready to happen. I have ordained this to happen. This is my will. This is chastisement. I'm trying to bring you back. He said, but with loving kindness have I drawn thee. He said, I want you to come back. I want you to come back. I want you to... Now, was it a physical return? Not yet. That wouldn't happen for another 70 years. No, it wasn't a physical return from captivity that God was talking about. He said, hey, I'm drawing you. I want you to come back in your heart. I want you to come back in your passion toward me. I want you to come back in your attitude. I want you to come back in your, in, in your fellowship with me. See, God said, I'll always love you. I'll always claim you as my own. That won't keep the judgment away, but in captivity... I'm going to help you through the dark days. Don't miss this. God never stopped helping, counseling, drawing His people. You see, He said to His people, we're going to go through the tough times together. How wonderful is that? <laughs> we're going to go through this captivity even though it is ordained of me because of your backsliding. Even though the captivity is something that you brought upon yourself, it was a self-inflicted wound. God said, you're going to go through some tough times, and it was of your own choosing, but the good news is, we're going to go through it together. We're going to get through it together. God could have said, you got yourself in this mess, Do just do the best you can, and I'll see you come the end of captivity. He didn't say that. God didn't say, hey... You went 490 years and you didn't keep my Sabbaths. You killed my prophets. You uh, uh, you uh, went out to the groves and you worshipped Baal and the gods of the groves and you went into idolatry and you went into debauchery and you went into all kinds of moral decay and depravity. Just uh, enough with you. Get out of here and I'll see you when you're done paying your penance. That's not what he said. 
He said, you're going to go in captivity. I'm going to spank you. I'm going to judge you for what you did, but I'm going to go through it with you. I'm going to help you. What a God we serve. What a wonderful God we serve. You read the books of Daniel and Esther. All, both of those books were written while God's people were in captivity. Daniel was a prophet in captivity. Esther, you read the story about how God provided for his people uh, toward the end of their Babylonian captivity, and God kept his word. God said, hey, I'm going to go through it with you. If you're going through it this morning, God wants to help you. Let's apply it to where we are, shall we? If you're going through a tough time right now, God wants to help you. Let me stop and say this. Even if what you're facing is self-inflicted. You see, there are folks in this room this morning, <clears throat> your problem may be self-inflicted. It may be that what you're going through is a direct result of your disobedience to God. It may be that what you're facing this morning is a byproduct of a time in your life when you withdrew yourself from the will of God. You quit reading your Bible. You, 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 hey, you, become un, you became unfaithful to church, or you, you went through a time where you rebelled against God's commandments and God's statutes and God's judgments, and, and, and basically you said, God, I'll do my own thing, thank you very much. And because of that, like I said, like the Bible says, sin always brings judgments. And you may be going through some self-inflicted trials and and, uh, and judgments this morning. But hey, understand this. <clears throat> God wants you back. He wants you back. He says, hey, hey, why don't we just, why don't we go through this together? Why don't we, why don't you let me help you? God says, you as a Christian may be backslidden and out of fellowship with your God. And God wants to counsel you this morning and to bring you through it. You say, preacher, how do I get through it? How, you know, oh, you know, by the way, God wants you to, uh, he wants you to excel in captivity. I say, preacher, what are you talking about? God wants you not only to go through the tough times, but He wants you to flourish in the tough times. You say, preacher, how do I do that? Very simple. You take God's counsel. You take God's counsel. Yeah, how do I do that? Well, He counsels us through His Word. He counsels us through His Spirit. Look, if you're saved, we talked about it at Sunday school this morning, you got the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And the Holy Spirit, in the, in the lesson this morning, we said, we talked about the fact the Holy Spirit gives me the assurance of my salvation. He, he bears witness with my spirit that I belong to God. But not only that, the Holy Spirit of God is there to help you through tough times. He's there to teach you the Word of God. He's there to, to, to lead you and guide you into all truth, the Bible says. Hey, you don't have to go, whatever it is you're going through this morning, whether it's self-inflicted, whether it's just Part of life, the the, uh, the ups and downs of life, the, the valleys that we, we all go through every now and then. Hey, why don't you decide, I'm going to go through them with God's counsel. The word, hey, look, when you're going through a hard time, can I give you just a good piece of advice? That's the worst time to ditch church. <laughs> Here's what we do. Preacher, I'm just really having a hard time, so I think I'm just going to stay away from church for a while. That's brilliant. I'm just really struggling spiritually, preacher. I think I'm just going to stay out of church for a while. That's kind of like saying, you know what? I'm really, man, I'm physically not well at all. You know what I think I'm going to do? Avoid the hospital. Well, stay away from my doctor. Why is that? Because I don't feel good. It doesn't make any sense. No. No. <clears throat> if you're not feeling well physically, if you're struggling physically, hey, you get help. You get medical help. You see a doctor. You go to the hospital. You do something. To, to help your physical condition. But the same is true with your spiritual condition. 
you're struggling this morning, hey, go to where God can use some people and some institutions and His Word and His Spirit to help you through the valley, to help you through the tough times. God said, I want to counsel my people. He never stopped counseling them. In 70 years of captivity, God was with them. In 70 years of captivity there in Babylon, uh, uh, there, you, know, you, you read about it in Daniel, where uh, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself and so forth, and the three Hebrew children, and, and, uh, and there was a remnant of people over there who, though they were in captivity, they still had the presence of God. Last thing this morning, we'll be done. He never stopped constructing them. First of all, he never stopped claiming them. He never stopped caring for them. He never stopped counseling them. And finally this morning, God never stopped constructing His people. Look with me if you will, verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 4. Again, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel, and thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Again, this passage is prophetical in the short term and the long term. He said one day... I'm going to bring you back from Babylon. One day the nation of Israel will prosper like never before. And that part of the prophecy has yet to be fulfilled as far as the uh, the Israel in the millennial kingdom. But understand something. It's true for all of us right now as well. God's not finished with you. God is not done with you. Don't you ever, don't you ever get this idea that somehow because of what you have done or because of where you have been or because of what circumstances you're under right now that somehow God is finished with you. There's one way to know when God is finished with you. It's called you don't have a pulse anymore. <laughs> okay? If you have a pulse this morning, raise your hand. <laughs> okay. Three people didn't raise their hand. Anyway, <clears throat> need to make a phone call here. Anyway, uh, if, if you're breathing God's air and you have a heartbeat this morning, God's got something for you. He's interested in rebuilding you. God's the master builder. This week we're going to bring these kids into vacation Bible school Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. <clears throat> and the theme is kids under construction. I love that theme. Kids under construction. You know what? God wants to build people. God wants to build people. And by the way, it was the wise man Solomon who said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 1, he said, uh, you ought to seek your creator in the days of your youth. God wants to build these children. You say, preacher, it's just a bunch of kids. What are you talking about, just a bunch of kids? Hey, you know how much potential is going to be in this room Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night? Whether it's, whether it's 100 or 150 or 200 young people who gather in this room, you understand what God could do in the lives of those young people, how He could build them if they would simply yield their heart to God at an early age and trust Jesus at an early age and get a foundation and let God work in them and, and, and be pliable and yielded and, and, uh, and submitted to His will. Do you understand what God could do with those children? I've got a better question for you. you know what God could do with you? You say, preacher, I'm not a child anymore. Much of my life has already been spent. Much of my life has already been lived. Much of my life is already in the history books, and I, I, I've, got to, I've got more in the rearview mirror of life than I have in front of me. Well, hey, it doesn't matter how much you have in front of you versus how much you have behind you. There's a God in heaven who said, who said to his people, I want to build you again. I want to build you again. 
The same God of heaven who said, I, I, I'm never going to stop claiming you. You'll always be mine. The same God that said, hey, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I'll never stop caring for you. The same God that said, hey, I've drawn you. Hey, let me counsel you through this tough time. He comes to you this morning and he says, hey, let me build you again. Oh, let's let, let's start all over. Let's, let's lay the foundation. The foundation's there. It's never been removed. If you're saved, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of your life. And hey, if you've got Christ, you got a cornerstone, you got a foundation that can be built upon by God Almighty. Why don't you just come back to God and say, God, can I start over? You know, God specializes in reconstruction projects. I'm, I'm glad He does. I'm glad He does. When I was a kid, <laughs> one Christmas I got some, I got some Lincoln logs. How many of you ever played with Lincoln logs? Amen. And uh, Lincoln Logs and Legos. And uh, I'd build stuff. And, and uh, I got a little sister who's four year, three or four years younger than I am. And uh, about the time I got those Lincoln Logs or those Legos, she, her favorite pastime was to come and destroy what I had created. Boy, that made me mad. I'm sorry, righteously indignant. And, uh, <laughs> but... Uh, and uh and and we would uh we, we, we would have words or worse. <laughs> and uh <clears throat> but you know what? Hey, if it's torn down, it's torn down. All you have to do, the only thing you can do is start over. And every now and then it's good to for all of us to go to God, and I'm thankful for first John one nine where he said if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And hey, beyond that, you know what God says? You want to start over? You want to start over? Hey, you want to start building again? Hey, I don't care. I do not care if you are 174 years old in here this morning. If you've got a breath to breathe, God wants to rebuild something in your life. He wants to start over. The issue is, the, the question is not, can God start over? The question is, will you allow God to start over? Will you allow it? You say, preacher, I'm a Christian. I've blown it. I strayed away from the will of God for my life. God wants to use you again. You say, preacher, I've really messed up. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand what I've, what, what, the, uh, uh, the, the, the depth of my straying away from the Lord. You don't know how far I've gone. I may not, but he does. I know that Bible. He said, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God said, hey, why don't we just start over again? God wants to use you again. God wants to restore you to fellowship with Him again. Oh, you have to get on board with them to see that happen. You've got to get your heart right with Him and in tune with Him. You've got to confess and forsake the sins and the filth that's come between you and your God. Hey, I'm talking to saved people right now. I'm talking to people. <clears throat> you, Hey, you're saved. You're on your way to heaven, but you strayed away from God. I love the song. I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home. Coming home, coming home, never more to roam. Open wide thine arms of love. And that's exactly what he says here right there. He said, hey, I've loved you with an everlasting love. You belong to me. You're, you're, you're my child. Do you think that God loves you any less than you love your own physical flesh and blood? I promise you, he loves you more. He loves you more. He said, I love thee 
counsel thee. I'll always claim you as my own. He said, I want to reconstruct you. I want to rebuild, if you'll let him. It's up to you, though. You have to be willing to say, God, here I am. <laughs> you have to be willing to come back and say, God, um, can we start over? Can we start over? God, I've made a mess of things. <laughs> can we start over? Every one time, has God ever had one of his children come to him with that attitude? Never one time has God said, you know what, I think you've already used all of your mulligans. <laughs> Never one time has God ever said, I'm sorry, but we've built on your foundation. We've built on the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life far too many times. And I, I'm sorry, I don't have time to do that again. No, no. No. It's all up to you. God said, I want to welcome you back. I want to welcome you back. The question is, will you come back? Our heads are bowed. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed.